Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Open the pot bay doors now. I'm sorry, Jan. I'm afraid I can't do that. What's the most we ever lost in the contest? Go ahead. Make my day. Hello everybody, and welcome to Black Hole Cinema, although a different Black Hole Cinema this time, because this isn't a traditional episode. Oh no, we are going off-piste, as they say, although I don't know who says it. And this is called Pick a Film, uh, which is a brainwave of mine. I'm Tony Black, host and curator of Black Hole Cinema. With me today is Emma Platt. Hello. My co-host, and uh, if Dan's my left arm, you can be my right arm. Do you want to be left or right arm? I'll be right right arm you can do more you can do more with the right arm can't you totally we're doing a new idea which which is mine which is called pick a film in which we have asked people we know and ultimately people we know to pick a movie that they want us to talk about and it's as simple as that there is no more caveat to it at all we're going to pick through as much as we can about it so we've watched the movie if it's one we haven't seen in this case it is we will go through the story the casting, the production details, anything that is basically on the Wikipedia page. And this is where I'm shamelessly nicking from Wikishuffle. Hello, Wikishuffle. Award-winning uh, Wikishuffle. Award-winning Wikishuffle, which is harder to say than it sounds. <laughs> trying to say that fast or drunk would be very difficult. Try it. Have fun. Enjoy yourselves. So, yes, we're, we're taking a cue from them. And if, if you do choose to sue us, Wikishuffle, know we do this out of love. And, you know, if we do make money out of it one day, we'll... Um, We'll cut you in, maybe. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, today we're going to give this a try and we're going to start with a film that was nominated by a good friend of mine and Emma will presumably have friends um, at some point Mm. in her life who she can ask. I don't have friends. Yeah, you've got one. You. You're my friend, right, Tony? Apparently, apparently so. I am now. Apparently, Uh, that's official. You heard it here first. Uh, Yeah, my friend who is the nominated picker, Phil Me, today because she got in first. Because me and my friends have a WhatsApp group because we're cool and hip and young, and we have a group in which we all talk to each other daily. And I said to everybody, "Throw a film at me," and I got about four of them. 
and the first one was from my friend Claire Stanley. So hello, Stan. We call her Stan, even though she does she's not, doesn't look like an old man yet. She's getting there. She won't mind me saying that. It sounds awful, but she won't mind me saying that. <laughs> so yes, she picked uh, the film we're going to start off with, which is a taste of honey. Oh, stop sulking! I brought you some money. It's taken you a long time to come round to this, hasn't it? What? The famous Mother Love Act. Since I've known, I've not been able to sleep at nights thinking about you. There'll be money every week in the post from now on until you forget. You walked out of the door with that man. You didn't give me a second thought. How did you get here, anyway? Oh, I'll get you for this, Geoffrey Ingham. What's she trying to run? The back to mother movement. Are you working? No, I told you, she doesn't like people looking at her. Mm-hmm. She'd be better off working than living off you like a little bloodsucker. Well, she doesn't live off me. No, we share everything. We're communists, too. That's his influence, I suppose. You get out of it and go back to your fancy man, your husband or whatever you call it. Oh, I'll give you such a bloody good idea, and that's what you've gone short of. Don't show yourself up for what you are. You couldn't wait, could you? And now look at the mess you've got yourself into. Well, get out of it without your help. Throw yourself at the first man you met. Yes, you're right, I did. You're man-mad. I'm right, you. You know what they're calling you round here? A silly little whore. They all know where I got it from, don't they? Oh, you bloody head off. Let me get that. A Taste of Honey is a 1961 British film adaptation of the play of the same name by Sheila Delaney. And it's basically about a young girl, and we'll talk through the plot a bit more later, but it's basically about a young girl who finds herself pregnant with a black child. Gasp! (gasps) Shock! (gasps) Gasp, shock, horror. Delaney adapted the screenplay herself, aided by the director, Tony Richardson, who had previously directed the first production of the play. It is an exemplar of a gritty genre of British film that has come to be called kitchen sink realism. What do we know about kitchen sink realism, Emma? Have Have you come across it before? I have, especially in university. There was a film I watched called, I think it was called Kathy Come Home, and it was mm. about like, homelessness, and it had a very, very similar feel to it. I think it's kind of kitchen sink realism. It's very 60s. That's what I always think about anyway. It's, it's very you know, of that era, and it's mm. always a bit northern. <laughs> yeah. Hey, old duck, all that, you know. Oh, um, God. I sound like Chris Haig. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Chris. <laughs> He's going to be you know. so offended. Don't be starting on my Chris. No, I know. You know he's like, you he's like my top favourite Chris with Chris Byrne. They go, he's, he, they're your friends. You can claim them as friends now. They're my friends now because yeah. they're not going to argue with me, are they? Exactly. Uh-huh. Tell them, tell them you're there, they're your friends. I'm just going to tweet yeah. them, by the way. You're both my friends now. <laughs> so, yeah, you're right, though. It, it does it does tend to be more of a, nor- a northern thing. Let's diversify into the Wikipedia article for Kitchen Sink Realism because I've got a link. Uh, sorry that wanky voice (laughs) kitchen sink realism is a term coined to describe a British cultural movement that developed in the late 1950s and early 1960s so you were absolutely right in theatre art novels film and television plays as I believe Cathy Come Home was whose protagonists usually could be described as angry young men. It used a style of social realism, which often depicted the domestic situations of working-class Britons living in cramped rented accommodation and spending their off-hours drinking in grammy pubs, 
to explore social issues and political controversies. Have I been incredibly sort of stereotypical by doing that bit in a northern accent? No, because it's not my accent, so you're all right. I don't give a shit. No, I wouldn't dare. I'll, 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 I'll you do, do it enough are. anyway. I do. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It was more Coronation Street than it was Brookside. So it was, okay. Yeah, it was. Bro- Brookside. That was, ba- that was like kitchen sink realism but 20 years later wasn't it Brooks? I, I don't know I never watched it and they nearly kicked me out of Liverpool when they found out <laughs> oh, you, you're the only person not to have ever seen we it. revoke your scouser card <laughs> yeah, I, I never ever watched it even <laughs> I love Brookside because my, my parents used to watch it because their lives presumably weren't depressing enough so they used to watch Brookside which was wonderful because it, it started like a normal soap and then by the end it had like a siege and like, you know like Ken Barlow in Coronation Street has been there for like 50 years and he's been in yeah. every episode for 50 years the guy in that was a guy called Jimmy Corkill who uh, I, in, I know Jimmy Corkill Jimmy Corkill is and he was in every episode and I think the last episode that he, he hung himself or, or somebody got hung while there was a, a the, while the street was while the street was burning down after a siege or something mad it I, was mental I am currently googling Brookside's last Google. episode <laughs> yeah google it I think I might have combined a few different things there, or maybe I had a fever dream and combined it with Die Hard. But <laughs> so, it was mental. It was mental. That's how all of us died. Exactly. Seriously. The films, plays, and novels employing kitchen sink realism are set frequently in poorer industrial areas in the north of England and use the rough hewn speaking accents and slang heard in those regions. The film It Always Rains on Sunday is a precursor of the genre, and the John Osborne play Look Back in Anger. He's thought of as the first of the genre. Now, I would imagine that is the inspiration for Oasis. Don't look back in anger. Yeah, I, I kind of thought that because, like you say, it's very northern, isn't it? As well, mm. like the whole winter sort that. So that's definitely what I got off it as well. Yeah, I'd imagine so. And it says the conventions of the genre has continued into the 2000s, finding expression in such television shows as Coronation Street and EastEnders, and you would say Brookside, absolutely. So kitchen sink realism is what A Taste of Honey is all about, to go back to our topic. And it was also the inspiration behind the song Your Mother Should Know, which is on the 1967 album Magical Mystery Tour by... The Beatles. For a minute, I was not sure that you knew The Beatles either. And I'm starting to wonder if you're actually a scouser and this isn't all one big sham. You cannot go about... 10 feet into the city centre without hitting a statue of John Lennon and having... A tourist go, oh my god, do you know the Beatles? <laughs> I don't, I'm not a particularly Beatles, big Beatles fan, so, and where I go out in the night out is, is kind of right by um, Matthew Street. Yeah. Oh, it's a nightmare! Yeah. So, but I think that's what peppers my opinion of the Beatles, to be honest. What, what the fuck can I? I've never met anyone from Liverpool who likes the Beatles. It's 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 like it's, it's it's like people who are from Manchester. Nobody in Manchester supports Manchester United. They they all support Man City. That, that's a whole different story, though, really, isn't it? Well, yeah. Let's not get into that. Let's not get into yeah, football. Yeah, it's one of those weird things, isn't it? But yeah, your mother should know was taken from a line from the screenplay for it from a taste of honey. The film opened on 14 September 1961 at the Leicester Square Theatre in London's West End, and obviously it had been a play of the same name. Uh, as I said earlier, by Sheila Delaney, who was a an English dramatist and screenwriter, best known for *A Taste of Honey*. She died four years ago, and yeah, it was it was a quite a successful play, which first debuted in May 1958, and it, so it only took three years to get to the to get to the cinema. One, maybe one of the first plays to be adapted for for the cinema. It might it might have been, or it might be certainly of this type, I'd imagine, because it does it is quite stagey, isn't it? The whole thing. 
it's very contained. That's mm. what I like thought of it. It's like you've only got a couple of locations, really, so you could definitely see how it would how it worked on the stage. Um, mm. And then obviously, it's such a small cast as well, mm. so you can definitely see the like the theatrical influences. Absolutely, absolutely. The story of A Taste of Honey, anyway, I briefly touched on it before. Let's go into a bit more detail. The story is, uh, Joe is a 17-year-old schoolgirl who has... Now, and I thought now I thought she was older, possibly because the actress playing her looks older. I thought uh, she was younger. I thought she did, was, like, 15. You? Yeah. Mm. I don't know why. I think it's because she was still in school. Yeah. And I know back then a lot of girls left school, like, 15, 16. Yeah. So I assume she was older. Uh, younger, sorry. I think it could it could go either way. Maybe that they they did that on purpose, quite possibly, mm-hmm. in order to be unsure. But she has an abusive forty year old alcoholic mother called Helen, and after sustaining a fall at school, Joe meets a black sailor called Jimmy, uh, who invites her onto his ship to attend her grey's knee. Ooh, uh. ooh, uh. he does <laughs> a little bit more than that in the end. Um, <laughs> and they soon start a brief relationship, um, after which Jimmy returns to his ship and departs. Now, obviously, this is the big hot potato of well there's a lot of hot potatoes in a taste of honey isn't that so, so, certainly if you if you look at it from the perspective of 1961 or 1958 when the play was on and this is a big one isn't it the race issue it is but it's also kind of like it's not a big issue until the very end and then it's not like when helen finds out that like the baby's father's black she just goes Ugh, and then I need a drink. I would like mm. there wasn't a big like outrage about it. So even though you can you kind of got this undercurrent of tension, but I think that was from a lot of the you know, the teenage pregnancy and like um, with Jeffrey's character and things and its general setting, it wasn't like brought up over and over and over again. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So it was it was handled quite differently from what I would expect of something from this era. Well, I think what I thought was interesting was that even though obviously she becomes pregnant and that forms a major chunk of, of the story of the, certainly the back half of the film you don't see her give birth and it's not it's not about the reaction to the baby is it it's it's no. it's about the almost her trying to assert her own independence and it's it's really a story about her and helen and the, the mother of daughter yeah. isn't it more than it anything is. else it is it's very circular i felt mm. The way, like, she's talking in the beginning, like, she asks Helen about her father, and you kind of find out that it was, like, a one-afternoon stand. Mm. And Joe, you kind of get the sense that she's trying to escape the situation with her mum, with the situation she's in where she lives, and she's unable to, I think partly through Helen's fault and through her own naivety, she just keeps, she's perpetuating this cycle. Mm. I think that's something that's still quite relatable to today, because you do get families where... The mother has a child very young, and then this is, I'm not stereotyping people in any way, but you do get these families where there's generations of people who don't work, who have children very young, mm-hmm. and it just it trickles down and down and down, and you can be just a victim of circumstance. And that's what I felt about Joe's situation with the pregnancy. It was just kind of like almost like this was going to happen because of the situation she was in, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And I think the the influence of her mother and the the way her mother carries on, as they would say back then, mm-hmm. is also like a more of a subconscious thing because she's not being taught the morals in order to to be no. protected, you know, to have protection and and things like that when she's with people. And even yeah. though she's not like her mother, she's she sees her mother carrying on with all these different men. 
and then it's it's that influence in that her mother isn't there to pr- almost protect her from because Jimmy's older, you know, Jimmy's visibly like in yeah. in, in his late twenties or at least. Mm. So he and it's very much you know that when he gets on that ship, he's never coming back. Yeah, and that like his character wasn't like he wasn't written like you would think. Oh, you asshole! No, not at all. Like, no, because because but then when he was like, oh, put me, you know, why aren't you wearing a ring? I was like, why are you doing that? Like you know, you're not coming back. And mm. in some ways, I felt like a lot of people manipulated. Joe, the only person who wasn't manipulating her was Jeffrey. Yeah. She was manipulated in some ways by Jimmy because he told her he was going to come back and he knew mm. he wasn't. And she's, and like you said, like she's, well, you know, she's a teenager and he's a much older man. Mm. What is he doing? Like, mm. hanging around with her. Like, it can't, you kind of think, oh, he's not a bad character. But then, especially I think in 2015, it's a bit nefarious yeah. to us. Yeah. And. I don't know if people watching it back then would have thought, ooh, that's a bit weird. But us now would be like, hang on a minute. Well, well, back then, it would have been that he's black. It wouldn't yeah, have it would have been the age thing. Yeah, it wouldn't It wouldn't have been that he's being a creep because he's older. It's it, it, Which effectively, even though he's not written like a creep, he is in a way, he, he is. is. Yeah, yeah. It would have been, well, he's a black man. And he's, yeah. he's having it away with a white woman. Whereas now, it's not that that wouldn't make any difference. Now it would be, he's 28 and she's still at school. Mm. And that that's what's changed. Yeah. And the relation I think the the relationships with, with between the women and all the men are very interesting in this. With relations between Joe and her mother become strained when their mother meets and marries a new man, Peter Smith. Peter. Now, he for me was a was a classic example of like the establishment classic northern bloke of the era. And spe- and that guy he still exists in many respects, it's probably certainly up you know, in certain parts of the country. But then, I mean, the first time we see him, he, he pinches a woman's ass, like who he works with, and she goes, "Oh, get away with you, you beggar!" Whereas now, that's that would be like we, not, you would be like in court, you know. It's it's just not acceptable yeah. for that now. Whereas back then, it was, oh, you know that, and with little. It's very carry on, isn't it? Like, yeah, that yeah. kind of behaviour. Yeah, I mean, he was a he was a creep. Yeah, and he's just a nasty piece of work, and like you said, he is very typical, like. Oh, I want a drink. I want a drink. And like, where's my shirt? Where's my dinner? Like yeah. that kind of thing. And you do see that, like my my grandfather, my mother's father, who's no longer with us, mm. was very much like that. He was, according to stories my mum's told me, he was very domineering. Like he went down the pub every night after work, and he came home and he expected tea to be on the table and all that kind of thing. And my mum was mm. born in fifty seven, mm. and even my my other grandfather, who's still alive, my dad said he was. He went down the pub every day after he was a, a mason, a stonemason, my granddad. Mm. He walked he worked with his hands and he went to the pub and he did the pools on a Saturday. And both the difference between those two relationships was is that my nan was in charge of my dad's family. Whereas <laughs> yeah. my granddad was in charge of my mother's family. Ah, that's interesting. Even like um up until a couple of years ago, my granddad <clears throat> my granddad Tommy was still going to the pub where he's mm. drank for like 60 years and still drinking with the same yeah. fellas who did the same job and the bartender knew the same drink so it's like you said these people it's, I think it is especially up north that they're still there but it's funny to see like the change in attitudes between how some people at that era have grown yeah. to accept the times like when my granddad found out my cousin was pregnant at the same time as me, my nan was furious because she wasn't married and my granddad was like, Hard oh, that was doesn't it, girl, you know, it's not a big deal. <laughs> you know, he oh, just 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Yeah, like it's yes, just a I, th- I think that, that whole thing of, of the, the, the men being, you know, t- traditionally sort of male and, you know, the woman has their place, the man has his role, the man... You know, that's something that in the older generation and now, I mean, the character of Peter now would be about 80, you know, <laughs> yeah. if he was still alive. So he would be one of those old guys now who is, you know, on his last legs, but he's still going down and he's got his, his tankard at his pub he's been going to for years. And he would remember the days when when that was all the norm because all the men yeah. worked in the in factories or they worked down mines or pits and all this stuff. Mm. Whereas now, obviously, people... They did do the same job for 20, 30 years. They did have that same pro- very provincial life in these very industrial places, especially up north with, in the main cities. And Birmingham, Midlands, where I'm from, is, was similar because um, it was the birthplace of industry. So from the Midlands up especially, you had a lot more of that. And you've seen parts of London. But you know what I mean? In those yeah. areas. So there was that very traditionalist kind of thing. But yeah. when she is rejected by mother, Joe starts, starts a job in a shoe shop and... She rents a flat on her own and asserts her independence. And that's when she meets uh, who turns out to be a gay textile designer called Jeffrey Ingham, who you've mentioned before. And she invites him to move in with her. I thought that their relationship was very nicely done. It was. And he wasn't like overtly camp. No. Like, I, like, I knew looking at it and knowing when this film was made that he was gay because yeah. of the way he was. But it was interesting when Peter called him a Pollyanna do you know and like yeah, the scene yeah. when um, Helen comes in and she's like you'll come live with us it was very I thought their relationship it was so sweet and it was kind mm. of like they were playing house but they were helping each other and you got the sense that he really cared for her because when she said I'm having a baby he kind of went well I thought you might be you know what I mean yeah 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 it was it was so sweet and it kind of was like I'm helping you and you're helping me but at the same time we're only giving each other what the other person needs we're not taking do you know what I mean? Not like with um with Helen and Peter, where it kind of seemed like he was taken, taken, taken from her. They had yeah. a really nicely balanced relationship, and yeah, 
but I became frustrated with his character when Helen showed up on the scene because I felt like Joe really needed him a lot more than she needed a mother, but she couldn't see that because she's well, kind of stuck in this this kind of really strange relationship with her mum. Yeah, this dysfunctional thing. Well, it it's you know when Jeff when she does when she does find out she's pregnant with Jimmy, Jeff's supportive, and he I mean at one point he even offers to marry her, and the quote is that you need somebody to love you while you're looking for somebody to love, which is a really nice line. And it's it's the whole indication of the fact that, to some extent, Jeff knew... Jeff couldn't be who he wanted to be in that world because, obviously, homosexuality was, was still a, a, an offence back then. It was, I think it was the mid-60s when they passed the Section the section 18 law. I think it was something... I think that was what it was, or it was Section something where homosexuality wasn't criminal. But then, I'm pretty sure it still was. Hang on a and, second. I'm going to double-check that. Yes, do do the wiki. Do the wiki I'm bit. On that. The wiki. Section I'm, eighteen is to do with GBH. It's not section eighteen then. Um, section eight is the housing act. <laughs> it's not <laughs> section eight. Where, where have I got them from? GBH oh, and housing. The yeah. Sexual Offence Act of nineteen sixty seven. Ah. It decriminalised homosexual acts in private between two men, but it was only up until the age twenty one was the age of consent back for homosexual acts. Right then, which is frankly absurd. It wasn't amended to two thousand and three. Yeah, well, well and, done, Britain. Slow yeah. for you. Yes, and we're still only just getting our heads around gay marriage and all these things. So there's still a could long way to go. Could be worse. We could be Alabama. Yeah, or Russia. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, could be. Um, we have we have made some strides, and now the next the next battle, and you know, just as an aside, I work um, part of my job is working with LGBT people and the big next step is the classifications of homosexuality because it's not just gay and lesbian anymore it's queer it's genderqueer it's trans it's all kinds of things pansexual pansexual and yeah even i i don't understand i i really i i i I struggle to i mean i try and understand don't get me wrong i'm not like oh i don't understand this i'm not gonna look into it but i think it's so it, the world is so different, especially in that mm. sense. To like ten years ago, but yeah, Jeff. Going back to a taste of honey, is the the classic gay man who can't be himself and he can't admit he's gay. So when he offers to marry Joe, it's that whole kind of almost trying to fit the societal norm, which he'll never quite be, you know. And he's trying to trying to be that that person that he's not really, but he's trying to do the best by her and fit that box. And what what the film never really does is is it very much alludes to the gay thing. Mm. It doesn't necessarily hit it head on all the time. And that's something that it doesn't do with the racism either. It's all bubbling underneath. And so by the time, like you say, Helen comes back after Pete turns out to be a drunk, it's the whole thing of, like you said, that their relationship is just eternally dysfunctional and will keep circling round. Cause she, she will go off and find another man and be a floozy again. Joe will end up raising that kid a lot on her own. So really, it's that cycle that will repeat, and it will yeah. probably it would probably potentially end up repeating with Joe and her child because Joe could well become a mother. And it's that interesting idea that people who are in this, I think, in this kitchen sink as they call it, world, are doomed to repeat each other's mistakes, and exactly. the generational cycle will continue. Which is what you've seen in a lot of in a lot of communities that have yeah. come from big cities that you've got third or fourth generation doll families, and a lot of them. You know, they 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 moved to wherever they were at around this time, and yeah. that's where it all began quite often. Yeah, I mean, you like you have to go where the were was yeah. essentially. And like you said, it's about the generational thing. Joe is doomed to 
repeat the mistakes her mother's made because her mother doesn't mm. understand that she's made mistakes. I got the sense that she was like, Joe was so disposable to it. Like, it really pissed me off when she was like, I'm going on a honeymoon. You'll be all right, won't you? I'll see mm. you when I see you. Like, she doesn't give a shit about her. Mm. And it, it was really quite upsetting. So she hasn't prepared Joe for a life as a mother because Joe doesn't know what that means because she's never had a mother. Like, she talks mm. about at one point when she, she used to, she doesn't even call her mum, she calls her Helen for a start. Yeah. She talks about every time I went to hold her hand, she'd just pull away. She had no affection off this woman. So no wonder she went searching for affection from somewhere else, which is probably what Helen did. So like mm. you said, it's just, you get this sense, it's just going to carry on and carry on and carry on and carry on. Helen is like, she's a very typical hard-faced character, you know? Mm. Like, I think the kind of, the type of character you see in a lot of these dramas like she's I had the sense that even if there'd been a father she was a very typical matriarch if you know what I mean she was very hard faced but without that lack of affection yeah. for her child yeah. but I also think that's very typical of northern women like my my nanny Alice was very much in charge of that family mm. and my mom was very much in charge of our family and when I was in a proper family I was in charge of that family and I think it, it that, I think that is quite a northern thing but obviously she had no choice because she was a single mother, but she's a shit single mother. Yeah, she brings shame selfish. on the rest of us. <laughs> she's a very selfish woman who, yeah, is, is kind of mm. rejecting what what the role she should be playing. And that, that in itself is controversial. The whole promiscuity thing itself is controversial to an extent because films of that era, they just didn't do that kind of thing a lot of the time. They didn't go there. That was all going on, but the films back then, yeah. you know, com- comedies were very much, you know, very safe dirt bogard middle class oh there's a doctor in the house kind of things or and dramas themselves were things like police dramas that were that were very they were real but they were they this kind of stuff this to the, uh, what that would day would have been edgy just didn't mm. it didn't happen and that's why these kind of films tame as they may seem now you can see from a historical point of view how much they would have struck a chord and they still they're still relevant now a lot of the issues that are on the table yeah are still there they've just changed yeah. they've just evolved mm. it's interesting you say about how controversial it was at the time because the Hayes Code was still in effect I mean mm. the studio dropped I think it was it stopped being strictly in force I might be getting this wrong sometime around about the Paramount Decree which I think was 1948 but I can check in a minute mm. but it was still being used and you still had the stars in the studio system still had a morality clause in their contract mm. meaning if you have an affair we can fire you so, yeah. it's like you said to us, it was a bit tame. Like, oh, so what? She's, she's pregnant with a black child. So what? He's mm. gay. But back then it was like, oh my God, she's pregnant with yeah. a black child. Like, it, mm. it, it's it's very... Like I keep saying, it's just... It's one of it's a perfect slice of history, isn't it? Yeah. It's not it's not a classic film, I don't think. No. But no, I think for that era, it's so... It's a snapshot of life yeah. for a large majority of people in a certain area, in a certain country, at a certain time. It's a piece of history, like social history. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. And I think that one of the reasons that Stan, my friend, loves it so much, and we've talked briefly about this, is that the dialogue that they speak is very... There are pauses, there's a lot of appropriisms, there's a lot of slang. There's a lot of things that, again, are very much true to real life. So it, it doesn't feel... It feels lesser... A movie in itself, and a, and, a, and a and a piece of drama as 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 a slice of life, not a documentary, but at the same time, no. you you could be looking in on someone's life, and 
the rhythms and cadences of the way they spoke and the the naturalism to it it's very naturalistic i mean the play itself i imagine when performed is quite naturalistic it has that sense of that this is real and all those people who would have gone to see it i imagine would have been oh my god shocked because this is something they've never seen on a on a big screen but equally they would have gone that's my life or, yeah that's that's mavis's life or that's whatever you know and again it's just it's all it, it's all the whole thing about the oncoming onset of like counterculture revolution and the changing like laws and everything of the 60s you know the socialism coming in with the with the labor government everything that coalesced in the 60s that changed britain to what it is now was beginning with things like this this is a slice of history but it's part of the of the move away from the the buttoned up repression of post-war 50s 40s 50s everyone had their place to the 60s where free love sex music rock and roll and then vietnam and all these things that went on mm. politically started to change everything and the, this it's was a, the very beginning of it it's the before isn't it if, yeah like it's before all the big the civil rights movements and the sexual revolution and the it's like it's in the but, middle it is and i think if this had been an american film you could have said it's almost before the American dream died because it was before yeah. Kennedy got assassinated. It was before the Vietnam War. And it was kind of like the glory days of America, like the whole Mad Men kind of era. Mm, mm. But it would have been, I think it would have been far too glossy. I'd, you never get the yeah. sense that this kind of thing was happening in America at that time because films don't show it. This, I think this had to be made in this country and it had to be set in this country. Yeah. Because when I think about the 50s in America, I do think of the whole Mad Men the kind of style of dresses and that kind of thing in the hair. When I think about the 50s in this mm. country, I imagine my nan with her hair in rollers with a net over yeah. it, like yeah, Nora or Abati. That mm. it, it's just, it's a, it's very, it's for two countries that are so close together in culture and things. During that time, the culture was miles apart. Well, I, I think a major reason for that was the fact that even though America were in the war, their war wasn't fought at home, as was... No. Well, in this film, there's there's almost the way the film looks. There are times when it almost feels like some of the streets haven't been properly cleaned up yet, or are slightly bombed out still. Yeah. So there's that feeling. That could have happened, though, couldn't it? You think about it, like that. That well could have been the case. I mean, I think you've hit the nail on the head there when you said they didn't fight their war at home. We were, I mean, we were bombed to fucking fuck, weren't we? Like, I think Liverpool was one of the most bombed places outside of London, and yeah. It was very much... I mean, weren't, there were still rations going on when my dad was born in 53. We were still very much in that kind of post-war mm. mindset. I think that shaped our country now. I mean, that's a totally different topic. But like you said, America didn't have that. They welcomed their troops home as, as heroes. We had to rebuild yeah. our country. We had to like we had no food. There was people still starving in the streets. We were trying to build the NHS. So the countries yeah. went to two completely different revolutions. Yeah, America could focus on the civil rights exactly. movement and the sexual revolution. We were just trying to fucking build houses for people and take care yeah. of the the soldiers who come back with legs blown off and grieving for families who had lost everything. It was two completely different times. In the end, Jeff moves out. Joe ends up effectively on the verge of raising the baby on it on her own so it ends bittersweet but with the element of she's learned a few things along the way in terms of of the reception a taste of honey did quite well it won four bafta awards tony richardson won best british screenplay with sheila delaney and the playwright who co-wrote the actual screenplay and it won best british film in uh, 1962 Dora Bryan who played Helen won Best Actress and Rita Tushingham who was the first role was named Most Promising Newcomer 
and at the 1962 Cannes Film Festival Tushingham and Murray Melvin who played Jeffrey Ingham were uh, best actress and actor respectively and in America it, Tushingham won a Golden Globe in 1963 for Most Promising Female and uh, Richardson got a 1963 Directors Guild of America Award nomination wow. So, and they won a a Writers Guild of Britain Award. So you know it was it was quite fated back in the day. But you know there are some there are some interesting people involved in it. I mean Tony Richardson was the father of um, Jolie and Natasha Richardson. So he was married to Vanessa Redgrave. Um, so he was he was connected to a very sort of well-to-do acting dynasty because the Redgraves go back to the eighth to the nineteenth century in mm. terms of acting. They go a long way back. They're like a royal acting dynasty in 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 England. So. It's interesting how he was very concerned with with this. And then you've also got like Robert Stevens who played Peter. He's the father of Toby Stevens, who was, you know, we know from Die Another Day and other things like that, with Maggie Smith. So he was he was a well very well respected actor in his day. He was considered to be the next Olivier at one point, but he never quite became an a massive household name, I don't think. So there's there's quite a lot of people attached to this. And Dora Bryan, he, he um, died recently she was like about 90 odd she was a great actress she was a great character actress from a lot of things she used to play a lot of plum roles but she was from Lancashire originally but she was one of those great comic character actors who could also do dramatic so it, it did very well and it had a lot of, of it's ranked 56th in the BFI top 100 British films list that was made in 1999 so it's it's in quite an illustrious lot of company so it is one of those films that everyone's heard of but is you know, important, I think. I agree. So, what did Brookside say? Oh, I didn't even look. I couldn't find it. <laughs> it was... Oh, no, we're sitting about Jimmy Corker. We're sitting there, and he did a long, really weird speech about it. TV to watch your brain or something. I remember a lot of people talking about that. I think I was in some high school when it finished. Um, yeah, that was it. I remember that. He did a massive speech ranting about the world and politics... And then something blew up, I think. It was mental. <laughs> it was really yeah, bad. Yeah, this doesn't surprise me. Yes. Um, so if you want more social realism that goes off the deep end, that jumps the shark, look up Brookside. Because that's, uh, that's the other end of it. It is in no way representative of the people of my fine city. <laughs> the majority are warm and mm. funny and caring. A small minority will rob your purse. Yes. Small but, minority, small, tiny. Just luckily, don't. you know, luckily you'll never meet Emma, so it's fine. Okay? <laughs> you'll be. <laughs> so funny. Comedy. So funny. Comedy. <laughs> that's what that is. So yeah, that's that's been a taste of funny. We uh, we recommend you you check this out. We enjoyed it. It's a it's a really interesting film. Thank you, Stan, for recommending this. And we'll we'll be we'll do another one of these. The next one will be with me with Dan Taylor, the other co-host, the left arm of Black Hole Cinema uh, and we're going to be talking about a film um, I'm not going to tell you what film it is but I loathed it yeah. so it should be fun <laughs> so that will be coming soon but thanks Emma for this and I am back on Wednesday doing the usual Black Hole Cinema thing that we do with Chris Ben ha 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 that just means bad shit's gonna go down <laughs> um, the other Chris you like yeah. the other Chris my top two Chris's Chris Bain and Chris Haig and we will be reviewing Miss You Already and something else which I can't remember Solace <laughs> Solace and I if you want to listen to me talk about how traumatised I am because I'm going to watch Child's Play and yes. I bought it on Blu-ray tune in because I will probably cry at some point 
excellent. If you've ever wanted to hear a girl and a Scouse girl cry, you angry Scouse girl, angry Scouse girl, it's a two for one. You you can't miss <laughs> it. Yeah, so that'll be that'll be next Wednesday. After that, yeah, we'll be picking another film. So we'll see you then. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. 